We thank you, Lord God, for your almighty presence in this place. We thank you, Lord God, for your love, your hope, your righteousness, your peace, oh God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you, Lord God. We humbly ask as we come before you and open this word, Lord God, that you cause our hearts to be attentive to your word, Lord Jesus, that we would find relevance in the spirit and in the truth as we worship you in the spirit and in the truth, Lord God. Help us to set preferences aside and just cleave to the word tonight. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Praise God. Be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12. Hallelujah. We uh, call this part two. Uh, you know me, I'm not, I'm not big on titles. I often will write a title on my, my little uh, note page, you know. This is, this is usually my process here. Usually just put some sort of a thought on top and a string of verses and, and we'll just run from there, you know. Uh, in the old days, I tried to write everything out. I, uh, that didn't work out. I tried to do everything in outline form. That didn't work out too good. Uh, when I would preach, I would just have a thought and a few scriptures when I taught. I had everything written out and everything like lined out. Now I've gotten to the place that even when I'm teaching, I just put a few scriptures on there. That's what works best. It's what allows me to flow freer in the Holy Ghost and allows the Lord to take me where He needs to take me and uh, to take us as a church where He needs to take us. Amen. So uh, if you need a title, I on my own little paper, I call this The Holiness of rest. Last week was part one, the holiness of rest. This is going to be part two. Holiness of rest, what we've been doing is we've basically been going over the Ten Commandments, one through four. I do not I do believe this will be the last lesson in this. We're not going to continue on with honor thy father and mother. Of course that's wonderful things and wonderful things to go over, but it's especially these four that talk about our love to God, our service to God that the Lord, uh, I felt, wanted me to go over. He's shown me a great body of understanding behind these things that I am not yet able to deliver, but as much as I can uh, and have permission of the Holy Ghost to do so, I will do so. I'm not trying to sound mystical or, oh, I'm so far above you folks. I'm so far up in the clouds that you can't even see the bottom of my feet. You know, it's not about that. It's just about... Whatever the Lord does. Anyway, Hebrews 12, 14. Follow peace with all men. Follow peace with all men. Unfortunately, it's the second part of the verse that we know and love so well. I shouldn't say unfortunately. It's good that we know the second part of the verse and, and, love, and love it so well, but... Uh, we often forget the first part of that verse, follow peace with all men. Uh, the Lord never told us to be doormats. He never did. He never told us to especially lay down for the devil. He never did. He never told us to lay down for the devil. 
You know, you know, when we feel the devil coming, a lot of times our response is to run and hide. There's a lot of God's people who have been given power in the name of Jesus to stand up against the devil and have access to the whole armor of God and they won't utilize it. Instead, they run away. And, uh, well, that doesn't work. In the earlier part of the book of Hebrews... As we talked about last week, he talks about us sitting with him in heavenly places. The latter end of the book of Hebrews, he talks about spiritual wickedness in high places. If we want to get the spiritual wickedness out of those heavenly places, then we need to get on that armor, start swinging the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is not time to be afraid of the devil. And as Ephesians chapter 6 tells us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Humans are not our enemy. Alright? The politicians on the other side of the ticket, uh, they're not our enemy. The policeman that pulls you over is not your enemy. Okay? The congressman that proposes an ungodly bill in Congress is not your enemy. It's the devil who is running the system from behind the scenes. That old Wizard of Oz, you know. We thought it was the Wicked Witch of the East that was the evil one in that movie. Well, no, the Wicked Witch of the East is evil. Glinda the Good Witch is evil. And the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain is evil. They're all evil. The Yellow Brick Road is evil. The Emerald Palace is evil. No, we're, 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 uh, we're looking for something better than just an Emerald Palace. I'm looking for one with the walls of jasper and streets of gold. Praise God. Hallelujah. The Emerald Palace and some yellow brick wall uh, road is just a poor facsimile for what God has promised us in the New Jerusalem. Praise God. I don't understand how it all works, but I do know this, that we will see New Jerusalem coming out of the heavens like a bride adorned under the bridegroom. She'll be like a bride all decked out in her wedding garments. Coming down out of the heaven, sitting down on the earth, 1,500 miles square. Praise <laughs> God. That's the half the size of the United States. That's a big city. I think that'll hold a few folks. We call that heaven, but is it really heaven if it comes down to earth? They say heaven is it? No. No. I'm not looking for heaven to come down to earth. I'm I'm looking for this earth to go up to heaven. Amen. I don't know what that means. I do believe in a millennial reign. I believe that we'll rule with Christ right here on this earth. I don't know how it all works together, but I'm excited to find out. There's a lot of things to do, but we're talking about the holiness of rest. And as we know, the second part of this verse in Hebrews 12:14 says, And holiness, without which no man shall serve the Lord. And we have used this as a stick to beat people in the head. If you are not holy according to how I define holiness, you will split hell wide open. I have heard, not just across pulpits, but I've heard across podiums at a big conference, men of God preaching the most ridiculous things. Now listen, what I'm about to say is going to sound arrogance, but it's the difference between revelation and religion. It's the difference between revelation and relationship and religion. Everybody with me? 
I've heard men of God who knew the doctrine in and out, up, down, left, right, and sideways, and they could preach a blue streak about the oneness of God and about how you need to dress and how you not need to dress and how you need to speak in tongues and, and how long you need to speak in tongues and, and how it's not really the Holy Ghost unless you spoke in tongues like this. And they got it all figured out. They'll tell you if your little big toe comes up out of the water, you're not really baptized. It ain't really the water that does it. It's the obedience to the process. It's a revelation, not a religion. It's at the point of getting to know Jesus, yes. not just getting to know some doctrine. Amen. Is it wrong to know the doctrine? It is not. But it is wrong to make the doctrine an idol. Fashion it out of a stone and stick it up between you and God and say, this is who I serve. And God is saying, get this stinking thing out of my face so I can talk to you. And yes, our apostolic, one God, holy ruler, born again believer in the liberating power of Jesus' name, doctrine can become an idol to us. Right. I used to get stubborn years ago when Brother Dayton would pull out his B flat. And the, I was just like, here we go again. And the, oh, oh man. If camp wasn't going there, they're having camp this week uh, up in Alton Bay. We're going to go up and see him tomorrow night. Anyway, uh, if camp wasn't going just hot and heavy enough for, uh, for Brother Dayton, he, he, he knew what he could pull out to make everybody start moving. Well, why? Because that's what, that's what we know. We know those five doctrines. Yeah, we're the ones that are right. And we're the ones that are going to heaven. And we're the ones that are better than all of you other poor schlobs out there that are going to go to hell. Ha, ha, ha. That's what that song always made me feel. Like we're just better than all you folks. And everybody start jumping and dancing. Next thing you know, people start shouting and start walking the aisles. And next thing you know, people start you know, getting the Holy Ghost all over it. Well, ain't nothing wrong with any of that. But it's sad that it takes a doctrinal stick to the head to make, to, to make that happen. I remember years ago when we were up in Washington, Maine, uh, Washington, Maine at Camp Madakawanda. Some of you guys were there. I remember one year, every single night, as we started off service, uh, all the all the men of God would get up on the stage, and they'd start singing, "There shall be light in the evening time. The path to glory you shall surely find. It's the waterway. It's the light today. Baptized in Jesus' name, young and old, repent of all your sins, and the Holy Ghost will enter in." The evening time shall come. And it's a fact that God and Christ are one. You know, there was such a difference to me in my heart between those two songs. The, you know, that song, There Shall Be Light in the Evening Time, comes right out of the book of Zechariah. It comes right out of Scripture. There's going to come a time where there's going to be light because the Lamb will be the light. And even when it's night, He's going to shine. And the path to this glory is absolutely repent of your sins and get baptized in Jesus' name and get filled with the Holy Ghost. Absolutely, this, these things are true. But when I would hear that old song at that camp meeting all the way up in Washington, Maine when I was just a teenager, 
Something would come over my spirit. Something would just roll over me. That particular year at camp, I don't know why they didn't always do it. Maybe just because they didn't want it to be a tradition. I don't know. But that particular year, I can't remember what year it was. But they would sing that song at the beginning of every service, at the nightly service. And man, the Spirit of God would move in that place. And it wasn't just a drive. Come on, folks. Let's, let's have a blowout service. One time, one time we started teaching years ago. This is, I'd probably been pastoring here maybe two years at the most. And uh, I started teaching, and the Spirit just whipped through this place, and we didn't get to do anything. All we did, had was a Holy Ghost blowout. And for about an hour and a half, and then after that, it was like, well, the Lord's done what He wanted to do in this place. Let's go home. A man literally came up to me after service, put his hand out to me. I put my hand out to him as he's shaking my hand. He said, congratulations, Pastor, on your first blowout service. I wanted to rip my hand back from him and smack him right in the head. You don't compliment the pastor on performing a blowout service. You thank the living God that He decided to move the way He wanted to move. Praise God. And I felt like saying too, my own personal ego felt like saying, uh, you're an ignorant cuss. <laughs> That's what they used to say when they didn't want to cuss. You ignorant cuss. You haven't been around here long enough to know whether or not we've had a blowout service around here. Mom, remember the days right after Brother Warren died? And we were praying and we were praying and we were praying. We couldn't hardly get into this. We wouldn't know, we didn't know what was going to happen when we came to church. The people of God in grief over losing their pastor and, and, and the shock of it and not knowing what was going to happen. Uh, we, we began to pray and seek the face of God like, like, like maybe we never had before. And man, it, it showed up in the services, didn't it? God came in here and just would move. He would just move. Congratulate me on my first blowout service. Come on. First of all, it's not the first time God's moved in this place. Second of all, it wasn't me who did it. But sometimes people decide they want a blowout. I heard one sister, precious sister of God, I heard her say one time, Oh, I didn't get my blessing. I always get my blessing the last night of camp. Well, you shouldn't wait till the last night of camp. You've made it a religion. Don't get rid of that. Now, she's a precious sister of God. There's nobody here. Don't worry about it. Precious woman of God, except for you could see that there was an errant mindset here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait. I'm going to sit on God all week long, even if He wants to move, because I'm not going to move until uh, Thursday night or Friday night, whenever the last night of camp is, and that, that's when God moves on me. Well, I think we ought to get our uh, understanding in order. And I'm not getting very far again, am I? Oh, Lord, help us. Follow peace with all men. We figured about that one. We're talking about straight paths. All the way in chapter 12, we're talking about running this race. We're talking about comparing ourselves to Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author, finishing our faith. We're talking about running a race. Uh, right, right before this, it talks about, hey, be careful, unless your ankle gets twisted and you turn out of the way, right? And then the writer here jumps right into this verse 14 and he simply says, follow peace. 
Don't follow men. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow the yellow brick road. Praise God. Don't follow politics. I have never seen a day where people of God are so proud about their political stance and about how well they can make points against the opposing team. Uh, Yeah, I used to go to high school and I used to sit in the back of the bus on the way to a baseball game and absolutely want to slip my wrist because my friends were all around me trading baseball cards, talking about stats uh, of baseball players, and it was just a cloud of nonsense surrounding me. Now, I'm a, I'm a stats guy. I'm a numbers guy. I'm a, I'm a statistics man. But when it came to knowing uh, the RBI of Matt and Oaks in 1981, I didn't care. But these guys did. Oh, yeah, this guy. Oh, you got his rookie card. Oh, you know, bat, pat, you know, bat, 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 bat. And I'd just be like, I just want to, the game. I want to go to the game, and I want to get a chance to, to knock that ball out of the park. I never did. <laughs> I never got up to bat that often. But <laughs> it stuck me out in right field. Yeah, Marcus, you, you play with the bugs in the right field. But uh, I will say this, though. My last at-bat as a senior, I popped that ball right over the pitcher's head. He couldn't get it, and it fell right between the pitcher, right between the shortstop and the second baseman, and just short of the center fielder, and I made uh, a, base, uh, a base run, but more importantly, I got a guy into home. Yahoo! That was my last at-bat in my baseball career. I got a hold of the ball. It wasn't over the fence, but it was the perfect space. Anyway, that's, a, that's an aside. Uh, but, you know, I didn't care about all, all those stats. It, just, it was just a cloud of nonsense. You know? What, what, are, what are we doing? What are we, what are we doing paying attention to all kinds of stuff that in the end doesn't matter? We're, we're looking into Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. We're, we're running the race. And he's saying, listen, follow peace. Uh, don't don't follow, you know, the, the political stream. Don't follow all the ins and the outs. Don't follow the worldly doctrine. Don't, don't follow after the stuff. And, and certainly don't get proud of it all. So proud about how well we know what's really going on. Apparently you don't because you think this is a political war. It's a spiritual war. Back to these guys in the bus. They'd be on the bus. They'd be talking about their team. And all, all the guys on their team. And of course, if, if you're born in New England, you, you have to support the Red Sox. It's the law. Uh, I, I didn't care. I didn't care about the Patriots. I didn't care about the Bruins. I didn't care about the Celtics. I, I, cared, of course, I cared about none of the major leagues. I cared about none of the college uh, teams. I didn't care about any of it. I like the Bengal Tigers. <laughs> I like the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I didn't care. And that's the, only, that's the only sport I ever even paid a little bit of attention to uh, on, as far as professional stuff. I didn't care anybody, anything about professional hockey, baseball, basketball, none of that stuff. But I'd hear them tout the strengths of their team. I'd be like, oh, the Red Sox, you mean the team that has been getting the jump beat out of them by the New York Yankees for like a better part of a century? 
that's the team you like, you know. I think maybe you ought to switch uh, teams and go for the Yankees. They're the better team. They're the winners. Now, I know, and was it 2003, all that changed. But uh, still, you know, when you're a Red Sox fan, you are a diehard Red Sox fan. It doesn't ma matter how. It, it's, it's almost worse to be good enough to get to the World Series and never win than just be a bad team. It's almost worse to almost always get there but never, never win than just being a lousy team that no one expects anything out of. I don't, know, I don't know if it really is worse. I mean, for the players it's better because they get more money. But uh, for the fans, I don't know. It, if you have a little old team that, you know, what, what's, what's a bad, bad team? Houston Astros? I don't know. Is that even a team anymore? Uh, but back in the day, they weren't much. Uh, Cleveland Indians weren't much back in those days. And uh, I say, I don't know sports these days. But uh, back in those days, you know, some of these teams, you know, just weren't hardly anything. And it's, it'd almost be rather, better to just be like, you know what, it's my hometown and I'm just going to root for them any, anyway, than, than almost always get there and never make it. It's like, man, that, that stinks even worse. I mean, I wonder how many remotes got flung into TV sets, you know. My, uh, my teacher, Mr. Conley, would come to church, and, uh, not church, but he'd come to class. Uh, he'd come to class and he'd be writing something on the board. All of a sudden, he'd just throw a chop at the wall. They see those stinking Red Sox, they figure out every way to lose. You can't hand them a game. And uh, to this day, he's a diehard Red Sox fan. I never understood it. I'm just not a sports guy. Some of, some of you guys are probably getting offended at all this. It's all right. You'll still love me. Praise God. Follow peace with all men. We're not here to follow all that. All I'm trying to say is when it's your team, it's your team. When it's your team, it don't matter how bad they are, it's your team. You know, when you're an apostolic, no matter how ridiculous some of the things the apostolics do, we're apostolic, we're right, and that's all that matters. Everybody else is wrong. We're the best team. Well, listen, we're not just the best team. We're not just the best team. If we're the people of God, we're the people of God. Okay? We're not the best kingdom. We're the kingdom. Amen. Oh, the devil's got his kingdom. Masoda's the minerals and the vegetables and the animals. Let's talk about the mineral, vegetable, and animal kingdom in the tabernacle of God, shall we? Oh, you think I'm kidding. Where'd the olive oil come from? You know? Where'd the wine come from? Where, now, where do they get this stuff in the middle of the desert? How about uh, making the bread for the showbread? Where did they get that wheat and barley to make those loaves of bread? Olive came from trees. Wheat comes from grass. Right? Grapes come from vines. So you got the three levels of vegetation. On and on and so forth. Oh, yeah, I, I can teach about the mineral, vegetable, and animal kingdom in the tabernacle. Believe it, I can do it. But we're not here to do that tonight. Follow peace with all men. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So I believe what the writer here is saying is it's both. It's both. It's both. Folks, it's both. Yes. If you're not following peace, you're not going to see God. Right? Now, according to Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers because they'll be the children of God. They shall be called the children of God. According to 1 John chapter 3, it, it tells us that uh, when we will look at Him, we will become like Him. 
In Romans chapter 8, it says, those who are led by the Spirit, they shall be the sons of God. In John chapter 1, it says, to as many as received Him, gave He gave them power to become the sons of God, even as many as believed on His name. So we're seeing that, yes, to become uh, like God. Again, in Romans chapter 8, he, we have not received, again, the bondage to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Right? And again, he quotes that same thing in Galatians. But what I'm trying to get at is when we are talking about purity, if we, if we look, if we look, we could look at First uh, John 3, talks about purity. If we look at Matthew 5, it talks about purity, right? I'm trying to get there. Matthew 5, and it says, Blessed are the pure in heart. This is verse number 8. For they shall see God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse number 3, and it says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. What hope? This hope. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall uh, be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So in the Beatitudes, he tells us, Be peacemakers. Because you'll be called the children of God. But he also says be pure in heart because you'll see God. And in Hebrews, the Lord through the writer here says, follow peace with all men and follow holiness. Because without this combination of peace and holiness, you will not see God. Now why have I taken a half an hour to belabor this one verse when we're talking about the Sabbath? Because we are talking about the holiness of rest. Matthew 11. Let's turn there real quick. Matthew 11. We all know it. Matthew 11. 28, I believe the verse is. Matthew, I know the chapter is 11. It's somewhere now down near the end of that chapter. I believe it's verse number 28. It says... Um, well, let's just go back... To verse yes, verse twenty-eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hear me. Rest. I want you to. Uh, I want you to understand the word Shabbat. It gets all twisted up and tangled up. It gets tangled up in the idea of seven, but it also comes from the idea of peace. Rest comes from our peace. Okay, so we're talking about the holiness. Of rest, and so when we read a verse like "follow peace with all men and holiness," you can see how God is tying in the idea of holiness and rest. You know, resting from all of our labors. He says here, "Come unto me, if you're all of you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light." We know that scripture. He's talking about this is holy. It's holy to separate time unto God. It's holy to do it now again. We've done this study and I won't belabor it, but we rest every day. It's actually holy to set aside an eighth of our day. Why? Because we're putting it aside. It's a separate time. And we're on, you know, there's either prostrate, right? Or there's prone. Mm -hmm. The difference is prostrate is usually face down. Prone is usually face up. 
Everybody all right? Okay, when we're sick and we're in the hospital bed, we're almost always prone. Right? But when we're purposefully getting down before our God, we're prostrate. Right? We're bowing on purpose. We're bending the knee and putting our face in the ground. So either way, we're horizontal before God. We're in the place of creation. Because I imagine that Adam was prone. He could have been prostrate, but I, I imagine that he was prone when God was forming him out of the dust of the ground. Everybody with me? I imagine that he was laying on the ground, face up. Or at least God was fashioning him face up. And then because he put his face in his face. Anytime you get your face in the face of someone else, it is a moment of in- intimacy, even when it's the catcher and the umpire squaring off on each other, spitting in each other's face over a missed call. Back to baseball. It's a moment of intimacy. Okay? Intimacy doesn't always have to be good. When you get up into someone's face, you put your arm around him like William Shakespeare uh, in his play Julius Caesar. When Brutus comes up to Caesar and puts his arm around him and stabs him between the fourth and fifth ribs, that is a moment of intimacy. And it's not good. Everybody with me? But God, he says, I don't want you to have any other gods in my face because I want your face in my face. You can't kiss someone uh, someone without putting your face in their face. It's impossible. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. The Lord actually demands intimacy with us. So God makes Adam prone, breathes into him. And then later, he lays him out again to bring Eve out of him. Right? Being prone before the Lord, being prostrate before the Lord, this is the horizontal position of creation. Not trying to get gross here, but it's the horizontal position of intimacy. This is what God is looking for. When we're sleeping, we lay down. These are all things that we know already. There's a holiness to it. But the marriage bed is holy. Or the opposite of that is undefiled. Or the synonym of that is undefiled. Right? Because the opposite of holy is defiled. Everybody with me? Yes. The marriage bed. Where do we go to the marriage? We go to the bed. Uh, Again, I'm not trying to get vulgar here, but in 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 a married life, you don't just sleep on that bed. There's horizontal intimacy. Enough said. But according to the Word of God, it is holy unto the Lord. That's the first commandment He gave. Be fruitful and multiply. There's only one way to do that. Oh, now they think they have all kinds of ways, but really, there's only one God's way. And that's a man, and that's a woman. That's a man and a woman who are married. That's God's way, and it's the only way. Because it does not matter what the rubbish of the world preaches to you. It's wrong, wrong, wrong. And even if it becomes illegal to preach that, it's still wrong. Praise God. Man, 
I've got the ire of the Holy Ghost on me. Woo! Oh, let's go back to that old Bible, shall we? Exodus chapter 20. We did this last week. Let me do it very briefly again this week. Exodus 20. In Exodus 20, verse number 11, he says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. So he's giving us a reason for making the Sabbath day holy. He said, I worked six days and rested. You worked six days and rest. But he didn't just say that. He, he gave some examples here. He said, you know what? You want to know what I did? I made the entire example of the spiritual realm for you to enjoy. That's the heavens. I made the entire physical realm for you to enjoy physically. That's the earth. Heavens, in every case in the Bible, is a plural word. Hear me, because we're, gonna, we're about to get a little academic. Don't turn me off just let, yet. Everybody perk up a little bit. I'm about to talk about some Hebrew words, all right? You're not going to know them necessarily, but listen up anyway, all right? Ha-shamayim. It just means the heavens. Shamayim. Everybody say it with me to make you feel good. Shamayim. Shamayim. Now let's all get in the lotus position and chant that a few times. It, no. No. It's just the Hebrew word. For heavens. Now, uh, you would think, uh, and we know because of the pattern of Hebrew, that we understand that there more than likely somewhere in the deep past, in the roots of Hebrew, there must have been a word, Shameh, which just means heaven. There is a word in Hebrew called Rekia, which means the firmament. But every time, without fail, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, every time, without fail, it says the word for heaven, it's always in the plural. In this case, it is a masculine word. Again, I'm giving you language lessons, so don't shut me off just yet. Uh, in the Hebrew, if it's a masculine word, you pluralize it by putting an im at the end. A little yod and a little mem, okay? And it's im. So it's not Shameh, it's Shamim. Okay? Or in this case, it's actually a little bit diverted into Shamayim. Everybody with me? Okay? Shamayim. Now, here's the thing. When we look at the word waters, the word waters is not always in the plural. Often it is. But the plural form of waters is Mayim. Mayim fits neatly within the word Shamayim. So when we say the word Shamayim, we're also incorporating the word for waters within the heavens. And indeed, where are our clouds? In the sky. Where does the rain come from? The sky. Where was the, on the second day of creation, where was the water separated from? It was separated from the waters above the firmament, the waters beneath the firmament, right? So the idea of water being in the heavens is always a consideration. Water is incorporated into it. It's like the word Yahoshua. Everybody paying attention. 
I'm going to teach you a little Hebrew tonight. Yahoshua. Uh, we've all heard the name Hosea. We've all heard Joshua, the son of O.C., right? Or O'Shea, right? Well, that's just uh, years ago. They didn't, they didn't quite understand. At least some translators didn't quite understand how it works. It is the name of salvation. Hoshea. Hoshea. Now the word Hosanna, we've heard that word, right? Hosanna, Hosanna. Right? We've heard that? Okay. Hosanna means save me now. Everybody with me? So that word Hoshea or Hosanna comes from is the word of deliverer or savior. So the prophet Hosea, his name meant salvation or deliverer. Okay? So, I, so I, actually, I said Joshua, the son of Hoshea. It's actually O.C., the son of Nun. Okay, sorry about that. I messed that one up. But you, you knew what I was saying. So sometimes he's listed as Joshua or Yahshua. Sometimes in Hebrew, it's Yahoshua. Sometimes it's just Oshia. Because they're pointing out the fact that he's Savior. Okay? Everybody with me so far? Now... The name of Jesus, the fullest name of Jesus is Yahoshua, Joshua. Well, we would say Joshua. In Hebrew, that might say Yahshua or Yeshua, okay, however it's pronounced. Uh, we're really dealing with Tiberian Hebrew as compared to modern Hebrew, so don't worry about the differences in the sounds. But what does the Yaho mean? That's the name of God, Yahovah or Jehovah. Everybody with me? So when we say G, uh, when we say the Lord, or when we say Jehovah, or when we say Yahweh or Yahovah, when we say here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. What we're saying is Shema Israel, Yahovah Eloheinu, Yahovah Echad. This is what we're using the word of God there, but we're just planting the word Lord on there. Out of respect. It's not really respect. I think it was a dumbing down process. I think it was a deception. But I'm not going to get into that because that gets into the divine name stuff. And I'm not into the divine name camp. All I'm trying to say is the name of God, when you say it, you know, it talks about the great I am. It talks about the self-existent one. But when you say the name of Jesus... It's already incorporated. I know I said that backwards a minute ago, but I'm correcting myself now. When you say the name of Jesus, Yahoshua, you are saying the name of God. And here's the thing. It was completely common in Hebrew names in those days for many thousands of years to incorporate the name of Yahovah in your name. Completely normal. It was completely normal to put the name of El in your name. Any, any name that started with L, like Elkanah, or any name that ended with L, like Daniel, all referenced God. Any name that started with um, Jehoshaphat, Yahushaphat, the Lord is my judge. Right? Any name that ended with Yahu, we don't often see it, but it's like, uh, usually it's Yah in Hebrew. Eliyahu, Jehovah is my God. Eli. Eli means my God. Elijah's name is Jehovah is my God. That's a good name right there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Everybody with me so far? Is this too much Hebrew? Okay. 
Did you have a question? Shema Israel. Shema heaven? No, no, no. Hashemayim is heavens. No. Shema is where we get the word Shmuel or Samuel, heard from God. It's here, O Israel, yes. Oh, everybody with me? Oh, would you like more Hebrew? Okay, moving on. We're seeing, according to Exodus chapter 20, uh, this is the reason. I rested. So, when we go all the way back to these Hebrew names, we see the heavens and the earth. You'll notice that in every case, Eretz, Eretz is the earth. It's always singular because there's only one earth. Okay, but heavens is always plural. We see that there's only one, one manifestation of the Son of God. The physical body that was prepared for the infinite, immortal, eternal God to dwell into a God that when even you just say the name God, the generic name for a deity, you can't even say it in its singular form like El or Eloah. You have to say Elohim, a plural form of it. But they always use Elohim with singular nouns and verbs, okay? To let you know we're talking about a singular being. Are you with me? All right? And when... We talk about his voice. It's as the voice of many waters, Mayim, right? And he spoke out of the heavens, out of the heavens, right? He always, his voice always comes out of the heavens. That's where rain comes down, out of the heavens. What, what point am I making? He's saying when he began to do his labor, he says, but for in six days the Lord made heaven. Now, in our English versions, it says heaven. But in Hebrew, it says Hashemayim. Heavens. It should always be translated within the plural. Why? Because the idea of heavens is plurality. 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 We have a, a direct tie-in with our earth. You know, Adam came from the womb of the earth. We came from what David calls the secret parts of the earth. Speaking of the womb, okay? Um, Adam, his name was Adam. Adam, Adam, it comes from the word Adama, which means ground. It comes up out of the ground. When Adam was cursed, it was the ground that was cursed in his name, right? But when Eve was cursed, what was she cursed in? Childbearing, because she was the first birth. She was birthed out of Adam's side. She was cursed in childbirth. Adam was, the ground was cursed on his behalf because he's from the ground. You see how that works? It, it all makes wonderful sense. And, and it, it goes very deep. And that's as much as the Lord's allowing me to talk about that right now. I've got to move on. So we're looking at this part where it says, listen, I made heaven and earth. I made the sea. Yamim. The seas. The single word for, for sea is yam. But unfortunately, that's the name of a false god. So... In these first chapters, uh, or in the first chapters of Genesis anyway, we always see it mentioned as yamim, seas, plural. Okay? That's separated water. These are seas. And it goes on and on and on. Listen, I did all these things that mean so much more than what you understand. 
The heavens is the realm of the spirit. The earth is the realm of the physical. Things like seas, often in the Bible, refer to the many peoples of the earth. Okay? There's seven seas. There's seven continents. There's, you know, the seven major land masses, seven major seas. All right? Everybody with me? I know there's only like, what, five oceans or whatever, but we've all heard that Sinbad sailed the seven seas, right? There's a reason why they used to say it that way. Let's turn it over to Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're not trying to bore you. I know when we start talking academically, it, it frustrates some people's minds because you're like, well, I don't have education in that. Well, listen up. It's not that hard. You can get an education from me, okay? Nobody here is stupid. You just, you just have to put on your, like our teachers in school used to say, put on your thinking caps, folks, okay? We're responsible to learn. If I'm responsible to teach, you're responsible to learn, right? If I'm responsible to study and, and, and put my heart and soul on this stuff, then at the least we can do is come in and pay attention. Everybody with me? All right. It's, it's not too difficult. Yes, I've been studying Hebrew for five years, so I know a few things that maybe you don't. It's all right. It's not going to save me. And your lack of that knowledge is not going to damn you. But if we can get some deeper understandings of the thing of God, then we all benefit. But we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 5. It says in verse number 15, And remember that thou wast a servant of the land of Egypt. Now, almost word for word, the narrative in Exodus 20 and the narrative in Deuteronomy 5 is exactly the same. Almost word for word. But then when we get to these verses of explanation why we keep the Sabbath, which is the only place in the Ten Commandments... That, we should, that we're given a reason to. You know, yes, he'll say, you know, I'll, I'll have mercy on them that love me the fourth and fifth, or to the thousand generations, and for them that hate me, they'll, they'll, I'll find them guilty into the fourth, third and fourth generation. But that's not really incentive why you shouldn't. But here we're talking about this is the reason why you keep the Sabbath, because I work six days, you work six days, and take the seventh off. Okay? <coughs> All right? And as we were talking about before, we have that third of our day, that, that level of intimacy with God. But once a week, we set aside an entire 24-hour period with God. And then various times a year, we set aside times for God. Pretty much the whole month of the seventh month is set aside for God. And if that isn't enough, every seven years is set aside for God. Then you get seven of those, and then you get an extra year. The year of Jubilee. God is always about these cycles of rest. They're holy to God. He puts His holy days on days of rest. We can call them feasts or moedim or whatever you want to call them, seasons. Okay, but really they come down to the mikra, the holy convocations. The getting together. It's the congregating together. It's where the body coalesces. Well, what happens when you sleep? Uh, muscles start to heal up, right? Waste begins to get collected for early morning removal. Not to get gross, but we all know what happens when we wake up. Head to the bathroom. Uh, what's been happening all night long? Waste is being collected in your bodies. And when you get up, you go to the bathroom, get rid of that, you, know, you take the trash out, and uh, you're ready for your day. Right? This is normal. This is what happens. The body gets together. It starts working. Just, the body still working, works even in rest. That's why Jesus said, 
Come unto me, ye that heavy or, or, or uh, that labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, and you shall find rest in your souls. Right? He's like, take my yoke upon you. So in other words, let's work together, and you'll find a lot of rest. That doesn't make any sense. Yes, it does, because even when the body is at rest, it is still working, as good things are happening. When we fast, what happens when we fast? All of a sudden, our bodies say, "Oh, good. We don't have to work on digestion right now. Let's work on some other stuff." Let's get rid of the cellular toxins. And so our cells begin to dump toxins. Right? And we start getting headaches. We start getting nauseated. We start getting weak because our muscles are, you know, this stuff's trying to come out of us. And, you know, you know, we, our breath starts to stink and all kinds of other stuff, right? Why? Because our cells are trying to get rid of old, old garbage that it just was too busy before to get rid of. But when it, we took a break from eating, our body said, oh, oh, now we can do some good work. But technically we're resting when we're fasting. Everybody with me? There's a holiness to this. Holiness. Deprogram yourself. We were, we were at a meeting yesterday and they were talking about de-schooling or unlearning certain ideas. And uh, yeah, we got to unlearn a lot of stuff about the word holy, right? Rest is holy. Rest is holy. Resting before the Lord is holy. I'm, you know, I'm reminded that Noah was called Noah, Noah in Hebrew, because in him, his people would find rest, comfort or rest from the ground that was cursed. Anybody remember that passage? Uh-huh. Noah was called Noah because it was prophesied over him. I don't know if it was his father Lamech or if it was his grandfather Methuselah that prophesied over this young boy and said, he, he is going to be the bringer of comfort and rest. What happened when Noah got off that ark and made his sacrifice to the Lord? The Lord said, no more will I curse the ground. He lifted that curse off the ground because Noah, in a sense, became like the second first man. Now, when you talk about the idea of Adam, we're always talking about the idea of the son of man, made in God's image and likeness. That's why Jesus is compared to a second Adam, right? Everybody with me? But what about Noah? What is Noah compared to as? Rest? Comfort? What does that remind you of? But I will send you a comforter. In my name. Anybody remember those scriptures out of the book of John? That sounds more like the Holy Spirit. Amen? How about Isaiah 28, uh, 11? Sorry, uh, Isaiah, yeah, Isaiah 28, 11. Uh, this is the rest wherewith the weary shall be caused to rest. What was it just talking about? For with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people. For this is the rest. It sounds more like the Holy Spirit, right? When we're talking about rest or comfort. So Noah, even though Adam, he was the symbol of Jesus. Noah, and I'm not preaching a trinity. What I'm saying is Noah comes on as the second first man that starts the human race again. Given the same commandments. Given the same edicts. There was a few little differences. The ground is no longer cursed from the time Adam fell. But... Unfortunately, the animals are not going to be afraid of you because you're going to need to eat some of them to supplement your nutrients. Right? And because our dominion follows us, we were given dominion over the animals in Adam. But what happened with Noah? 
What happened with Noah is more than likely, if you read the book of Isaiah, in the millennial reign, we'll see lions eating straw like an ox. Anybody remember those passages? You'll see a, a lion eating straw. What do you mean? A lion can't eat straw. A lion can only eat meat. Look at them choppers. He's got them big old... They should call them felines for a lion, not canines, but anyway. they got them big old long fangs, right? Those, what are those fangs for? For ripping into a, the, the flank of a gazelle, right? Ha! So he can get a good meal. Well, only animals that have teeth like that uh, you know, are meat eaters. Yeah, have you ever seen a panda's teeth? He's got some pretty good-sized fangs. All he eats is bamboo shoots. How about a fruit bat? You ever seen the fangs on a fruit bat? It's called a fruit bat for a reason. It only eats fruit. <laughs> uh, so just because you have fangs doesn't necessarily mean you were designed to eat meat. But I'll tell you what happened. We get off the ark, and the Lord says, okay, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to replenish the earth. But things are going to be a little different. You can eat meat now. So because you can eat meat, all the animals under your care and dominion will also eat meat. <laughs> so that's where carnivores began. It was after the flood that they began. They followed the pattern of what God put in man. That's a whole other thing. But Noah was that symbol of rest, all right? Now, let's, let's look at the reasoning God gave us behind. I know this is the same place I had to end last week, but uh, it's, there's so many good things to talk about when it, we talk about the holiness of rest. It's hard to really get through it. Everybody okay so far? We're not going to do a part three, so can we go for about ten minutes late tonight? All right, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, Let's go ahead. Verse number 15 again out of Deuteronomy chapter 5. We've just seen in 14, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, and if thou shalt not do any work, blah, 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 blah. same stuff we find in Exodus. But when we get to verse 15, it says, and remember, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember that you were a servant for the devil. He worked you like a slave. You might have thought you were having fun. But you were killing your liver. You were destroying your brain cells. You were depleting your body's energy. You were passing your soul out to every person that you got intimate with. You were spreading yourself thin all over the world. You were destroying your body with surfeiting. And if you don't know what that word is, look it up. You were destroying your body with every wicked thing. The devil was using you like a slave. He was using you to draw other people away. He was using you to curse other people. He was using you to give glory to His name. He was using you until He killed you. And you remember that. You thought you were having fun. You weren't having fun. You were dying. Man, I'm getting hard on that one. I think the Lord is talking to someone right here. We need to let go of certain things. This is not a game that you play with God. Get off the fence and either serve God or don't. That's a side note, but that was for somebody. Pay attention to the word of the Lord. He says, and remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. That reminds me, of course, of the book of Jeremiah. Really, the book of Jeremiah should remind us of Deuteronomy. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Ah, Lord God, You have made the heavens and the earth by Thine outstretched hand. Anybody remember those Scriptures out of Jeremiah? Praise God. I don't remember the reference. I just remember the words. <laughs> Praise God. Anything too hard for God? No. 
No, 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 no. He says, in this case, I want you to remember the Sabbath. Because I want you to remember how you worked like a slave. And guess what? These slaves didn't get a day off. They built the treasure cities. Ramesses and Python, right? Now, I know when we watch the little cartoons and stuff, they're always building the pyramids. No, the Bible says they built the treasure cities, okay? Uh, the slaves did not, the Hebrew slaves did not, excuse me, build the pyramids, all right? They didn't do that. But they did work hard, and they didn't get a day off. That's indicated in the book of Exodus. They didn't get days off. In fact, when they said, we wanted just a couple of days off to go worship the Lord, what did Pharaoh do? You guys got enough time to sit around and plan a meeting or have a little committee meeting? Well, guess what? Uh, you're not. You're going to work harder. Okay? You still got to build, uh, make bricks, and now the materials to make the bricks will not be supplied for you. You got to go get them on your own. They went to Moses and said, Thanks, pal. You come here and tell us that you're going to re rescue us and all we get is harder labor? Yeah, yeah. God's got, to make, God's got to make us want to leave sometimes, right? So he says, listen, when it comes to this day of rest, you've lived your whole life in Egypt. You've lived under the regime of the devil where he never gave you a day off. You worked and worked and worked and worked and you probably lived 40 or 50 years at best because you worked yourself to death. But I've got something better for you. In fact, kind of a cool thing, and again, we won't get into the other six, but a cool thing is the very next, the very next commandment is honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days be long upon the earth. You think that might have had, uh, you think that might have been speaking to those children of Israel who are used to working themselves to death in Egypt? God has to tell them first, take a day off. Remember how it was in Egypt. I mean, could you really forget how bad it was? But it's not so much for them as for us. And by the way, they did forget. So it was for them too. But remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt. The Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day, right? Now, the other difference here, the other major difference here, is in verse 12 it says, Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. But in Exodus, what does it say? A little different. And this is, these are the two major differences when it comes to this commandment. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So in Exodus, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then in number 12 of Deuteronomy 5, it says, keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it. But later he says, remember. Right? So it's all about remembering. We talked about going back to that time machine. That's in our memory. Our memories are a time machine, right? We can go back 40 years in the past and a flash and a thought. They say the speed of thought is C to the third power. Three cubed, uh, C cubed. If you don't know what C cubed is, go look it up. No. Uh, C is the letter represented as the speed of light. Now E equals MC squared is the speed of light squared, right? 
That's talking about the matter energy conversion. And I know I just lost a bunch of you, but they say the speed of lot, uh, uh, thought rather is actually C cubed. Whew, that's pretty fast. But our thoughts still travel on this earthly plane at the speed of light. That's what alpha waves are, beta waves are, gamma waves are, delta waves are. They travel out from us at the speed of light. Do you, do you understand that you're making photons with every thought? Come on, light's going out of you, folks. What are you thinking about? When you're thinking about the things of God, how much brighter is that light coming out of you? And I'm getting off on some things here. So let, let me just uh, settle down. Remember, right? Keep it in this passage and remember it. In Exodus, it's keep it and make it holy, right? It, but he also said sanctify it in this passage too. You could have been translated, keep it holy. So we've got these ideas. We've got these ideas here. That where he says, you know, listen, do this. We understand out of Genesis chapter 2 where he took the day off. So we're not going to go there. But I want you to go. I want to go very quickly. I, told, I asked you if we could have another 10 minutes. That starts, uh, 9 minutes starts about right now, okay? Can we do another 9 minutes? Uh, Psalms chapter 5. Sorry, Psalm 95. Psalm 95. Psalm 95. I'm going to read this. It's only 11 verses. Bear with me. Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. That sounds pretty good. Whoo, pastor's finally getting on some good stuff. All right. Keep that, keep, that, uh, keep that feeling going, okay? Squeeze as much out of it as you can. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. Anybody feeling good yet? Anybody feel like taking a praise break? Lord, thank You, Jesus. We come before you with thanksgiving and praise, Lord God. We come before you and humble ourselves before you. Thank you, Jesus, for your word and for your spirit, mighty God. Praise you, Lord God. He goes on. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. I don't have time to get into that one. I would love to, but here we are. Verse 4. In His hand are the deep places of the earth and the strength of the hills is his also the sea is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land the earth oh come let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the lord our maker that word maker also means former the lord that formed us whether he formed adam out of the dust of the ground or whether he formed you in your mother's belly he still formed you right Praise God, our maker or former, for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice. And now He brings it down into the moment. In other words, He connects eternity into our timeline. Because eternity is everything in a focal point of right now. Technically, eternity is absence of time and absence of space so there is no time and there is no locality uh, if you if you will eternity is the absence or the exponent of time whereas infinity is the absence or exponent of of space because does anybody know what infinity is after all infinity is basically uh, it goes forever that way, it goes forever that way, it goes forever that way. It never ends, right? So where is the center of infinity? 
if I ran a million miles this way, it would still be the same distance that way, and that way, and that way, and that way, so I'd still be in the center. If I went, I jumped up, and I could jump up a million miles up that way. Once I got there, I'd still be in the center, wouldn't I? <laughs> so there's, there's it, it always focuses on where you are. That's what infinity is. There's no locality. Time's the same thing. If there's no beginning and no ending, where are we on the timeline? We're not. We're outside of time. So it's always just kind of now. So he starts saying, uh, I make all things beautiful in my time. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, right? And in that same verse he says, And I set eternity in their heart. I set the world in their heart. I set the Septuagint cosmos in their heart. All right? I set the understanding of the greater spiritual planes, the heavens, if you will. I allowed you to rise up from the earth and sit with me in heavenly places to experience time or lack thereof in space or lack thereof the way I do. I set it in your heart. So now he's saying today, today is the day of salvation if you'll hear his voice. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation. That provocation was in the wilderness when Moses was preaching to them, okay? Harden not your hearts as in the provocation as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, forty years long I was grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. What rest was he talking about? The rest was the promise, the promised land, where the houses were already built, where the grapevines were already producing, where the fig trees were already ready to be plucked, right? Fields already plowed and planted. Everybody all right? This is the rest. You get to go in there and you just get to enjoy because everything's already built and everything's already planted and everything's already ready for you. Come on, when we go to heaven, uh, do you think we're going to have to go to like the old time camp meetings and go into the kitchen and unpack the food and start cooking up a meal? No, we, we imagine that when we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb, all we do is sit at the table and it's provided for us. There's a rest, amen? Praise God, there's a holiness to rest. Hallelujah. The Lord says, it's not everybody that calls me Lord that's going to make it into this rest. It's the ones who do the will of my Father that will enter into this rest. So therefore, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Labor to enter into His rest. Amen? And so all these passages are quoted in the book of Hebrews. Praise God. We've got three more minutes. Can we do it? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. It says this, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, the one that gives you rest, praise God, the Paracletos, the Advocate, the Stand in Between, the Lawyer, right? The Daysman, of course that's Jesus too, the one who stands in the gap. Everybody with me? Amen. The Holy Ghost says today, if you'll... Hear his voice, heart not your hearts, is in the propagate. He's quoting right out of Psalm 95. So let's 
jump down into verse number 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily why it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. The thing that caused you to come to Jesus in the first place, if you hold on to it and let you take you to the end, you're going to make it. Through every moment, through every today. While it is said today, if you'll hear His voice. Again, verse 16. For uh, some, when they had heard, did uh, provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was He grieved forty years. It was not with them that sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear He that they should not enter into His rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in to the rest because of unbelief. In other words, we got to understand and believe when God says take a break. We got it's a matter of faith. Okay, yes, Lord, I got to take a break because I can't work for my salvation. I can't work for this. In fact, the guy that went out there and uh, uh, looked around for a man on the ground on Sabbath. The Lord got angry and said, "Can you please tell these fools to listen up and, and, and understand? You can't do that." I already told you to gather twice or double on Friday because there ain't nothing coming down on Saturday. Uh-huh. They didn't believe it. They were so used to it. Oh, do everything every day. You've got to do something every day. you got to do it. got to go. go. got to go. got to go. And I can't ever take a rest. can't ever relax in Jesus and let Him just begin to repair and take the trash out. Come on now. I know we're over time. Let's read a few more verses. Chapter 4, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest as he said. I have sworn in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remains that some must enter therein, and they they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, He limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear. Verse number 8. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would He not afterward have spoken of another day? Praise God. And we can go on and on and on. It, It really comes down to a matter of faith. It comes down to a matter of holiness. It comes down to, is God God the way He says He's God? Is God got the does God have the right to tell us what to do? Does God have the right to change our patterns and our habits? Does God have the right to take out our trash? Does God have the right to repair our breaches? Right? Does God have the right to repair our muscular tears and soreness? Come on, yes, He does, and that's exactly what He wants to do. Stand with me. Praise God. It's about loving God. Rest is about intimacy with God. It's about stopping what you're doing because you can't uh, uh, get intimate with God when you got your armor on. You can't get intimate with God while you're plowing the field. You can't get intimate with God when you're running the race. So you've got to stop every once in a while and say, it's time to rest. Hallelujah. And there's a holiness in it. Praise God. These four commandments are about loving God. 
It's about getting in the face of God. It's about doing things God's way. It's about getting rid of all the junk. It comes down to it. Well, we need that rest. Come on, let's appeal to the, the living God here for a minute tonight. Lord God, we love You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord God, that uh, You have given us the grace to deliver this Word, O oh God. Lord God, help us to relax in You. Lord God, help us to take a break in You. Help us to not think this is just some physical commandment to a physical people thousands of years ago. But Lord God, this is a good word for us today. Lord God, where we will let You do work in us. Understanding that it is You that works in us both the will and the do of Your good pleasure, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord God, that You have literally created us unto good works. But we've got to let You do it. We've got to come to You and find our rest. Oh God, and try to... Stop figuring it out for ourselves and just worship You with joy and gladness knowing that You've always got us. You're never going to leave us. You're never going to forsake us. Thank You, Jesus. Come on, let's just rejoice in the Lord our God tonight. Thank You, Lord. 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 Thank you, Lord.